Listening to Strange Familiars, True Stories of the Paranormal, Cryptids, Hauntings, The Occult, Mythology, UFOs, Folklore, Weird and Forgotten History. Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars and of course, strangefamiliars.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Hope everybody's doing good. So you might notice, if you are not a patron, that the episode numbering is a little different now. What we've started to do is to number the patron episodes right along with the regular episodes, whereas before they were on a separate numbering system. So if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere like that, and it seems like you're missing an episode here and there, it's because those are patron episodes. If you want to hear all the episodes, become a patron. I think this month we're doing two full patron episodes. We always try to do at least one, and... Since they're full episodes, we decided to just start numbering them along with the regular episodes. If you want to become a patron, if you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you those extra shows, and there are other reward levels for t-shirts and stickers and all kinds of stuff. You can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars and see everything there. Thank you to our current patrons. Without the patrons, there is no Strange Familiars. The whole show is supported by our patrons. Thank you.
Tonight we're going to be talking to David Weatherly about the black-eyed children. I'm not sure how much this phenomenon needs an introduction. David and I, in the interview, we just kind of jump into talking about it, and I realized I didn't really introduce the phenomenon too much. For my part, before I read David's book, I thought it was kind of a post-internet phenomenon, but David has done quite a bit of research to show that it existed before the internet, and that, kind of like Flannel Man, was maybe just more popularized once people started talking about their sightings and experiences on the internet. Basically, people, and they're often alone, are approached by one, two, or three of these very eerie children. They sense something is wrong or something is off about them from the beginning, and this tends to turn into a fear, usually about the time they realize the children have solid black eyes. These black-eyed children want to be led in your house or in your car. They're insistent that they need to be invited in. They almost demand, but they, they demand in such a way that says, you know, you, you have to let us in. So it appears that whatever they are, they need to be invited in. There's been sightings all over the place. I know it's an international phenomenon. It mirrors some other phenomenon, which David and I talk about. And of course, there's tales of vampires who need to be invited in. The gray aliens with black eyes. And uh, the man in black phenomenon as well. David Weatherly is a paranormal investigator and author. For 40 years, he's explored the world of the strange, investigating cases around the country and abroad. He's written and lectured on a diverse range of topics, including cryptozoology, ufology, and hauntings. David has also studied shamanic and magical traditions with elders from numerous cultures, including Europe, Tibet, Native America, and Africa. He has appeared on numerous radio programs, including Coast to Coast AM, Dreamland, Veritas, and Darkness Radio. David was also featured in Watchers Volume 5 and on Ancient Aliens. He is the author of Black-Eyed Children, Strange Intruders, and the Woodknox series. David's blog is twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com, and we'll put all the links and so forth in the show notes. talking with David Weatherly. He's written several books on many, many different paranormal topics. He is the... Are you the owner of Leprechaun Productions? Or, or I am, yes. Yeah, yes, the owner of Leprechaun Productions, which is a publishing company. You release DVDs as well? That's correct. Yeah, it's multimedia. Multimedia company. you got DVDs. you got several books you've published, including Wooden Ox, a series on Bigfoot, which I took part in. Today we're talking about black-eyed children. It's... Your second edition, the first edition was in 2012, the new edition came out in 2017. It's got all the material from the first edition and then some extra. That's correct. I have to tell you, my daughter has been bugging me since I started the podcast to do a show on the Black Eyed Children. <laughs> <laughs> she loves hearing the stories and uh, she's just like, you know, let, let, you should do Black Eyed Kids, do the Black Eyed Kids. I said, well, you know... I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know any witnesses or anything. And then when you published the second edition, I was like, all right, now, now I can get somebody to talk about the black eyed children. <laughs> yeah. And I, I put that out for a couple of reasons. One, just from an author's perspective, it was, you know, a lot of times we are our own worst critics, I think. And, you know, I was never completely happy with the first edition of that book. Just, you know, a few technical things about it basically. And, 
when it started coming around to the five-year anniversary of when I had released that book, I also realized that while five years later on the book is also 20 years later on the Brian Bethel account. And for anybody who's read the book, you know, certainly the original edition, well, actually both editions I go into this, when I researched the material for the book and released the first one, I couldn't reach Brian. He was in a period where he didn't want to hear anything about the black eyed kids or talk about them or anything else. So, you know, I, I tried through several different sources and reached out and just couldn't get a response from him. So it was only after the book released, the initial release of the book, and, uh, you know, when I was kind of making the, the media rounds coast to coast and everything else, that Brian actually reached out to me and I found out he had read the book and absolutely loved it and said, you know, you really kind of hit the mark on this. And it's helped me in terms of how, you know, I've looked at some different aspects of the phenomenon and everything. So, you know, we've been in touch over the years and communicate some. And when when the anniversary kind of started approaching, it was interesting because Brian was open to me including a piece that was basically a reflection for him looking back on his encounter 20 years later. So there's a whole chapter at the end of the book, which I, I think is just, uh, amazing in and of itself just to hear his insight and how this whole phenomena and his encounter affected his life you know for all those years yeah for those who don't know he he wasn't necessarily the first person to encounter the black eyed kids but he he sort of uh gained a lot of popularity first on the internet i suppose is the best way to put it he he did and what's happened is you know a lot of people are still under the impression that this is some kind of an urban legend or that it is strictly a modern phenomena, and it, and it is not at all. That's one of the things, actually, that I set out to explore when I was researching the book. I wanted to find out, okay, is this just strictly a modern thing, or you know, does it have some foundation in, in older accounts? So Brian's account, which, as I said, it occurred in 1997 for him, gained so much attention and he he kind of he does bear the responsibility of a couple of things one sort of initiating the modern wave of these sightings as i call it and two creating the acronym bek which is black eyed kids which interestingly enough he says that he, he kind of regrets having created that acronym at this point because he feels that it limits the phenomena somewhat and for those not familiar with ryan's story he was out one evening. This is Amarillo, Texas. He was out one evening to drop a check in an after-hours payment box. Sitting in his car, writing the payment out, and these two kids approached his vehicle. He was not in a shady neighborhood or anything like that. It was you know, kind of a, a normal evening by all accounts. But these two boys approached, and for some reason, he initially just felt kind of nervous about it. So he only put his window down a little bit enough to hear what they wanted. Uh, the boy standing closest to him started to speak to him and was saying, Hey, mister, we want to see a movie and we forgot our money. We want you to take us back to get our money. We want to see our mother, which they emphasized for some bizarre reason. And Brian had the clearness of mind to glance over at the movie marquee and realize that the last showing of this film was already well underway. So didn't quite add up that that's what they really wanted. 
his hesitation provoked them to push a little bit harder and they they got more insistent and started saying things come on mister we're just a couple of kids we can't get in the car unless you invite us in and as this is unfolding brian's initial unease has grown to outright nervousness he's trying to sort out exactly what's going on here he's looking a little bit closer at these kids now they're wearing sort of nondescript clothing uh you know hoodies and jeans and when he makes eye contact with the boy that is closest to his vehicle he suddenly realizes that this boy has solid black eyes the entire sclera there's no color there's no whites there's nothing else it's just these solid black orbs kind of peering in at him and that's enough it pushes him over the limit the fear kicks in high gear he throws his car into gear backs out of the spot and as he's pulling away from the strip center he glances in his rearview mirror and these kids have vanished now these points kind of set the hallmarks for what a lot of these encounters that ensued afterwards demonstrated you know these these odd statements and requests of course the solid black eyes pale skin and this reaction amongst the victims of sort of these three stages of initial unease which grows to nervousness and and then the flight response kicks in so brian posted his account on the internet bear in mind this was late 90s so you know there wasn't a lot of uh, social media and things like that uh, like we have now and he posted it on some uh, bulletin boards you know some chats and he started getting responses from people that were pretty interesting because people were asking him questions of course but then other people were posting saying oh my god i've seen something just like this you know, this happened to me in, in Seattle, this happened to me in Columbus, you know, all these different responses. So Brian got so overwhelmed with the outpouring of mainly of questions and of people wanting him to recount the story again and again. And at some point he just kind of shut down. He just couldn't deal with it anymore. And there was some other fallout, which you can read in, in the book that was happening to him on a personal level after this encounter with these kids but it, it caused him to withdraw for quite a period of time and kind of brings us around full circle to you know the last couple of years when he has stepped out and and has actually done some interviews again and, and we'll talk about the phenomenon once again the really interesting thing is, is full-grown men report being terrified of essentially children or what appears to be children oh yeah yeah yeah, full-grown men, you know, law enforcement officers, military personnel, just, you know, a wide spectrum of people, male and female, of, of all ages, really. They do. They go through these strange experiences where they are just completely terrified of, of whatever is standing in front of them. And I don't, I don't think for a moment that these are really kids, obviously. But, you know, whatever it is, is, is taking that guise in order to try to gain entry to people's homes and it's not just houses of course but it's places of business uh vehicles hotel rooms boats uh, these things show up everywhere so i think the impression is that this is an internet phenomenon or a post-internet phenomenon and i can attest just just from doing the flannel man thing and having done one show or we actually we just mentioned it once and then started people started firing reports at me like i didn't know anybody else had ever seen this and it was a very organic thing where it started. And now I have, you know, dozens, 
you know, probably over 20 reports that people have given me of encountering this Lionel Man entity. I'm sure the exact same thing happened with Black Ike children. It's just someone started talking about it, and that was enough for other people to say, hey, yeah, you know, I've seen something like that as well. So there's an impression that, that kind of like, um, oh, what's the uh, oh, Slender Man or something like that? Mm-hmm. that it, it's sort of this, this post-internet phenomenon. But you have a very early report, I think, from the is it from the 50s in the book? Yeah, the one from Rural Mid-Atlantic, yes. That's yeah. from the 50s. Did you find yeah. any earlier than that? Uh, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Uh, the, the key for me when I started delving into that, because, you know, you always have to take a, a, or at least I take a very open view when I go into these things, and I try to look at these reports from every angle. And, of course, with the Black Eyed Kid reports, a lot of people were jumping up and down and saying, no, this is an Internet urban legend, you know, internet-based urban legend, blah, blah, blah. And the thing that was kind of the turning point for me was, one, I started meeting people who had encountered these kids. And that takes it to a different level right there, because suddenly it's not just an anonymous story posted online. Suddenly you've got the person in front of you, and you can ask questions and you can gauge their reactions and, and everything else. Two, I got very determined to see how far back I could go with this because obviously, you know, this effect with the solid black eyes, I, I mean, it shows up everywhere now. Uh, movies, television, even in the 90s, the X-Files used it. So it wasn't like it was a completely new thing. And of course, prior to that, there's the iconic image of the alien grays with those large black eyes. So, you know, that in itself wasn't a completely new thing. The, the turning point for me really was when it dawned on me one day to take away the acronym BEK or Black Eyed Kids and start delving into the specific parameters of these encounters. So what I mean by that is that if we suddenly assume, OK, well, the acronym and the phrasing is new. But what about the basics of the encounters? How far back do they, those go? And when I started using that as a guide, then it, it sort of changed the tune, so to speak. And I started finding older accounts. The one you're referring to from the early 1950s was pretty intriguing because, you know, that was prior to any of these kind of effects that we see in modern times. And there was uh, never a reference to this this thing has a, a a black eyed, you know, has a BK, although that's exactly what happened. And that particular encounter involved a young man. This is a rural farming community. And this young man was walking home one day. His family lived on this nice piece of land. And he, this young man, Harold, he knew everybody in the community. And everybody knew that Harold was one of those people just talked, you know, constantly. He talked, to, he'd walk up to anybody and start talking. It was usually difficult for them to get a word in. So Harold was walking home and he comes along the fence to the fence line that runs up to his house. And sort of there on the corner where his family's property is, there's this young boy leaning against the fence. And Harold, of course, good natured as he is, he just starts talking to this kid. And the kid is kind of leaning. He's got his elbows, you know, on the fence behind him and his head is tilted down. Harold just kind of prattles on and on about whatever, and, and suddenly Harold just stops, and he says, hey, you all right? 
because the, the kid hasn't responded to him or said anything. And at that moment, what happens is this boy looks up very slowly, makes eye contact with Harold. And he says in a very cold, monotone voice, which is typical of these accounts, he says, I, I want to go up to your house. You're going to walk me up to your house. And, you know, Harold kind of, he feels the hair go back up on the back of his neck and he gets this really creepy feeling. And he, he merely thinks about how quick he can run away from this kid. And as if in an act of mind reading, this boy automatically responds and says, now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house. As the story goes, Harold beat his personal record for making it into his front door at that <laughs> moment. He's just blazing a trail up to his house. Now, as he's running up this, this dirt lane that goes to his house, he hears behind him what he said was something akin to the scream of a bobcat. This is weird screeching sound. And for anybody who's ever heard that, you know, in the wild, I, I've heard it personally. It's, it's a very eerie sound. A lot of people think it sounds like a, a woman or a baby screaming out, kind of combined with a cat-like noise. And it's just a, so it's this very bizarre, distorted screaming sound that Harold hears behind him. He goes bursting through the front door of his home. And the parents, of course, automatically, you know, jump up and respond. And this is where it gets very revealing because the reaction is this. The father grabs a shotgun and marches down the lane because he wants to know who's messing around on his property. The mother, her response is an automatic, oh, Lord, Harold has met the devil. Get your good clothes on. We're taking you to the preacher. So, you know, this kind of wraps around to a different direction for these things, because suddenly we're looking at a classic BEK encounter, but we're seeing it through the lens of a different time period and, and different cultural and religious beliefs. And to these people, you know, kind of salt of the earth community uh, to them, well, you know, a, a kid with solid black eyes, is there's something demonic there. There's something evil. And obviously it wanted in the house. So, you know, this is this is a story that the family, you know, still talked about for years and years afterwards, obviously. And they were convinced that Harold that day had met something satanic. If you think of rural America and the stories of, you know, meeting the devil at the crossroads and and these sort of folk tales you exactly. know, of, of meeting the devil it, it kind of fits in that pattern oh yeah yeah it sure does and and of course you know there's also the aspect of kind of classical demonology that comes into play with all of that in that the principal idea is that a, a demonic entity can manifest in human form but not perfectly something has to be distorted so it's either you know, a hand or a foot or perhaps the eyes that aren't quite exactly human. Yeah, that's really interesting. There is this thing with eyes across the paranormal, not necessarily black eyes, but it, it seems like, I mean, we get glowing eyes, you know, with all these cryptids. We get, like you said, the black eyes with the grays, the, the black eyed with these black eyed children entities. There seems to be something to the eyes. Like, I don't know if it's the other trying to tell us something or what's going on there, but... Uh, 
there's always well not always but there very often seems to be uh these something with the eyes people will mention you know the eyes were glowing the eyes were red or oh yeah in, in this case you know these these black eyes which did appear in some places in folklore across the world uh you mentioned i think angels with black eyes from uh, the middle east um, yeah that's correct yeah and in, in um in traditional islamic faith you know there are a, a pair of angels who are they're they're sort of you could kind of equate them to angels of judgment. You know, they're these massive beings that are actually, when you read the lore about them, are, are more f- frightening than, you know, like a, a typical comforting Christian angel, for instance. And those angels are depicted as having solid black eyes and, and being, you know, sort of the judges you have to pass through, you know, in, in order to, you know, be with Allah and so forth. Then you have depictions of Azrael, the angel of death, that uh, people often equate to having, being either solid black or having solid black eyes. And uh, there's actually a lot of modern encounters with the angel of death, which are kind of curious. People who see, you know, something that looks very human in some ways, but also has angelic aspects. Sometimes they say he has wings, but he's often uh, portrayed as having solid black eyes because he's the Obviously, the angel of death, you know, the keeper of the, the passage to the, the afterlife. So it really is something that runs through a lot of folklore. And, you know, once you start delving into all those different aspects, you, you kind of tap into this whole idea that there's something much older and much more primal going on. And I tell you, one of the things that I found out after the book was published was uh, that was very intriguing was this discovery of a statue in Gobekli Tepe. And this thing is, it's, it's called the Urfa Man. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures of it or not. I have not. But, okay, so the Urfa Man is, it was, it was found at a site called Gobekli Tepe, which is this ancient site that's being excavated and it's been being worked on for, for many years now. The site has been a really rich area for stone carvings and they're finding all kinds of different representations of animals and, and different totems and everything. And to date, they've only found one humanoid figure carved and they dubbed it the Urfa Man, U-R-F-A. Uh, you can Google pictures of this thing online. It's dated to oh, like 13,500 years old. So, you know, let that sink in for a second. And then let this sink in. Out of this vast prehistoric site with all these carvings, there's only one statue of a humanoid. There's only one statue that the ancients, whoever carved this stuff, took the time to mine stones for the eyes. Now, they journeyed somewhere. Uh, archaeologists aren't sure how far away, but the people who carved this went somewhere, uh, a great distance is believed, to find black obsidian for the eyes of the statue. Now, I haven't seen the Urfa Man in person myself, but I've talked to a lot of people who have uh, Robert Schock and, and Linda Moulton Howe and some other people in the field have stood in front of this thing and hands down half dozen people I've talked to have seen it they all say that it's one of the the most eerie and unsettling things 
to see because you're standing in front of this this humanoid with these deep set black eyes and you know it raises all these questions as to why the ancient people did this you know what is it they were trying to convey and you know to me i mean this is kind of in a way the capstone to all of this research on these black eyed beings, you know, people, you know, people want to say, oh, no, this is a new Internet meme. Well, <laughs> no, it's not. Let's look at this statue that's over 13,000 years old and wonder why in the world does somebody want to do that? You know, put these solid black eyes in this thing. Yeah, well, that's the, the point I'm trying to make. I think the Internet is great because it allows us to communicate and it allows us to communicate very quickly. So what might have taken in the past, you know, 30, 40, 50 years to move through pop culture and now it can happen, you know, virtually overnight. And, uh, oh, sure. and I, I think that's what happened with these black eyed children stories. I think they were probably there. They may not have always taken the form of, of kids either. Some of these things seem to change a little bit over time. Like the men in black, you know, the, the men in black seem very timeless when people report them. They, they seem like mm -hmm. they've intentionally chosen to wear these suits that are not easy to pin down to a specific time, but they had their historical precedents as well. Oh, sure. I mean, you can even go back to the witch trials, uh, you know, and, and you hear all these references to the man in black and, uh, you know, even prior to that. So it definitely is something you find all through history. And granted, it takes slightly different forms at times, but again, that is a, a current that certainly runs through a lot of history and consistently reaffirms reappears, sometimes morphs a little bit and adapts some, but you know, it, it all of course just leaves researchers like us questioning and wondering, wow, what what exactly is this about? <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Yeah, and, and uh, well, since I brought up Men in Black, the, some people think there's a connection, Black Eyed Kids, Men in Black. I've read a couple stories on the internet. You know, I'm not sure if they're just you know, it's just stories somebody put up or if they're, anyone's done any kind of further research on them. But a, a couple of stories report that seeing, you know, men in black either pick up or drop off black-eyed children. In any case, there seems to be some sort of relation, at least some people think so, between the, between the two. Is it merely the, the black? <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's actually a lot more to it. Uh, you know, Nick Redfern is a good friend of mine. He's probably the the dominant authority right now on men in black because he's done so much research and and he and i have talked about it pretty extensively one of the things that's intriguing about the black eyed children actually uh, for anyone who's read the book you'll find that there are so many different types of phenomena that these things that the bks have uh, common ground with and you know it can be argued that, oh, well, they're alien hybrids. Oh, well, there's something demonic. Oh, well, there's some kind of expression or extension of the men in black. So when you get into the men in black comparisons, uh, some of the similarities are, uh, first of all, the uh, appearance. You know, the men in black are often uh, said to have either, you know, pale or unnatural looking skin. Some people in, in the older reports you know, they would say oh, the, the men in black looked like they were maybe Asian or something. So we hear that sometimes with modern BUK encounters. Oh, they, they looked kind of olive toned, like they were Greek or, or maybe yellowish, like they were some kind of Asian heritage or something. So we do hear those things. 
Uh, then there's the electronic interference, which is, is a classic men in black manifestation and also surfaces a lot in black eyed kid encounters. Uh, you know, I'm always asked, oh, well, are there pictures of these things? I, you know, that, that's a tough area because as you and I were talking about earlier, it's so easy to hoax things now uh, in terms of, of photography and the black eyed effect, you know, even if it's not a, a, a image that's been manipulated, you know, you can purchase these full contact square lenses now. So it, it's hard to put a lot of stock in, in photographs, especially ones that are touted on the internet as being genuine and you can't reach the source. Uh, but what, I find more intriguing are these accounts where the black eyed children show up and uh, security cameras malfunction or, you know, they're mysteriously shut down, uh, things like that. And there's, there's weird telephone interference that surfaces sometimes in conjunction with the kids. Again, that's another men in black kind of classic manifestation. And then one of the other curious things is, you know, there's a lot of men in black stories where they don't really seem to recognize everyday things that we're all used to, you know, if, uh, living here in this, this day and time. So, you know, you might've heard the classic story of the, the man in black who was presented with a cup of jello and acted like he didn't know what to do with it, you know, sort of tried to drink it or something. I think he wrapped and, it up in his uh, handkerchief and put it in his pocket. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then there's, you know, there's black eyed kid stories that are like that. So a good example of that is, uh, well, two things. One is that no one, uh, you know, all the, the reports I've seen over the years, I, I've never seen a report or heard someone state that they saw a black-eyed child with a cell phone or an iPod or any kind of electronic device. Now, you know, go down to the local shopping mall and tell me how many kids, you know, from, from 10 through their teens you don't see buried in, in texting or, you know, something. Oh, no one looks up uh, anymore. <laughs> it's, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, even adults hardly do anymore. Sure. So, yeah. so that's one thing. And then there's another, there's another brief encounter that I just found kind of funny. It's, it's really strange, but, uh, this woman was at home doing some work. You know, she was sorting out some kind of project or something on uh, her table. She had been at it a long time. She was almost finished. She had like one small stack of papers or something in her hand she had to finish, and she's trying to get it done, and this knock comes at the door. Now, if you've heard the stories, you know that the black-eyed children don't just, you know, do a quick one, two, three knock or anything like that. It's this they start knocking, they don't stop. It's this long, continual kind of droning knock that a lot of people say in and of itself unnerves them. So this woman, she's sorting these papers and this knock comes at the door and it, it just keeps going. It disrupts her focus and she's so aggravated. She throws these papers down and goes to the door, flings the door open and uh, uses some colorful language before she even realizes who's there. And she says, why don't you use the blankety blank doorbell? And she points to the doorbell. Now, standing there on the porch, you know, are these black-eyed kids and they just look at her and then they look over at the little lighted doorbell and then back at her and, and they do this several times and she said she had this strong impression that they genuinely had no idea what a doorbell was so they really didn't understand what she was talking about 
And, you know, this kind of, I mean, this all kind of wraps up the BEK-MIB connection because there's so many of these men in black encounters where they seem like they're out of sync with the current time. Now, whether they're doing that intentionally or whether it's a, a byproduct of how or why they're manifesting, obviously we don't know. Uh, but, you know, they wear these these old suits and they wear, you know, they drive these out-of-date cars and things like that in the men in black encounters. And, you know, these BK encounters, you hear similar things. You know, it's, it's as if they're trying to blend in, but they don't quite have it right. And I, I imagine that awkwardness just adds to the whole experience, the eeriness and, well, first eeriness and then turning into fear. They just don't seem to be of our time and probably not of our place either. Exactly. They asked to be let in, and it's really interesting because, of course, you, you go to vampires where you, you have to invite them in. Well, they'll start out asking and, and then uh, get to the point where they're almost demanding, but they insist that you have to let them in. They can't just come in. It appears like they can't just bust in through a window or something. Right. There's. I, I've never heard an encounter where they force their way in. I, I've, I've never heard of that. They do become very insistent and you know, typically will just constantly repeat phrases and, and try to convince the person to invite them in. And it does. It goes back to classic vampire lore uh, and, and also, you know, uh, demonology because traditionally a demon can't enter uh, unless it's invited in, you know, in some fashion. So something about these kids and how they're manifesting doesn't appear to allow them to invade someone's space. They have to be issued that invitation. Which would separate them, in my mind, from like the greys, which seem to just uh, come at will. <laughs> right, which are much more invasive, obviously. They don't even respect walls, much less doors. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, people see the Black Eyed Children... Is it usually one, two, or is it most often in threes? No, it varies quite a bit. Uh, I'd say one or two are the most common. There are some accounts where people see three. There's some, you know, has with a lot of different types of weird phenomena. There are, there are different uh, variations, you know, that we hear. There was a guy in England who swears that they multiplied when they were in his outside of his door. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, it's either a solitary one or, or sometimes there are two. What's the age range that they appear to be from about 10 years old to 14? Is that, is that about right? That's, that's a pretty good general. Yeah. You know, people say that uh, most often they appear to be right in that early teen or, or preteen period. So bear in mind that a lot of people who, encounter these things they don't have kids of their own so they're just kind of estimating you know it's it's pretty rare to hear of one that's you know for instance really young you know you don't you don't hear one oh this kid looked like he was three years old or anything like that right but it, it's it's interesting too another point you know on on the unnaturalness of these things is that while the bulk of these kids are in that preteen to early teen period uh, no one has ever described or noticed any kind of blemish on the skin. So, you know, no pimples, no acne, no freckles, uh, nothing. 
And again, that's something that is obviously very unusual for, you know, if, if it was a, a normal human child. For me, the most powerful and frightening story, and maybe this is because I have kids, was Sharon's story in your book where she actually let them in. I, I guess, and that's the big question. Has anyone ever let them? Well, she didn't let them in. She came back to her vehicle and her child had let one in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very disturbing account. You know, you see stories all the time on the internet. Uh, oh, I let the black eyed kids in and now I'm dying and, and things like this. And it, you know, some of them of course reek of like the weekly world news or something, but over my years of looking at the, the cases, there's a very small number of accounts um, from people who I, I find to be, I believe to be valid accounts where one of these children has, come in as has been allowed or invited in rather. And, you know, Sharon, she allowed her story to be told basically because they wanted to kind of put this warning out there for other people. And it, it is a very unsettling account. I mean, I can go into that one if you want to, it's, it's obviously a little bit of a longer one, but it, it's, it's very, it's very disturbing when it comes to it. Well, I mean, yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. You know, that's probably the most common question. I, one of the most common questions I'm asked is, has anyone ever invited them in? And obviously, we all want to know what could potentially happen. And and I'll say this, you know, I was on at one point uh, several years ago with Whitley Strieber, and one of the things he said, which was very unnerving, he said, you know, we have to wonder how many people invited them in and we just don't hear the stories. And, you know, that kind of gives you a creepy, <laughs> creepy thing to, to think about late at night. It's like, wow, well, yeah, there's, there's no telling because we don't know exactly what transpires. Now this, this one particular account gives us a little bit of a hint of what can happen. And uh, this involves a woman who was uh, going home, had her son in the uh, back of her vehicle, Again, this is a more rural area. She stops by a convenience store and has done this, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of times. She leaves her son in the vehicle. She jumps out. She runs into the market to get her, you know, bread and milk or whatever. And it's only a couple of minutes. She comes back out. Now, we've all done this at some point or other. You know, we jump in the vehicle on autopilot, right? So... She jumps in, key in the ignition, turning the engine over, as she glances up in the rearview mirror to check on her child. And when she does, what she sees is these black eyes staring back at her. And it's a, a boy that she doesn't recognize who is sitting in the very middle of the back seat. Her son is directly behind the driver's seat. So... This boy is, is sitting right in the middle, you know, so close that he's touching her, her son. You know, he's kind of butted up against him. Now, that's kind of weird in and of itself, uh, just because, you know, why if he's in the vehicle anyway. Why is he not on the other side? Uh, so her reaction is, is she kind of jumps through all the phases, you know, that it's, it's automatic uh, uh, panic reaction. She jumps back out of the vehicle. She jerks open the back door. She yanks her son out, and she runs back into the convenience store. 
the clerk obviously knows something is wrong. So he comes rushing from around the counter and he's asking her what's going on. So the clerk obviously knows something is wrong. He rushes out from behind the counter. Uh, all she can do is kind of stutter and stammer that someone's in her vehicle. So he rushes out to see what's going on. Uh, he finds the vehicle sitting there with the engine running and the doors standing open on the driver's side and not a sign of anyone. So he looks around the parking lot, he, you know, looks around the, the gas pumps and everything. He's, he takes her keys out of her vehicle and, and closes the doors, goes back inside and tells her that there's no one around. And he's going to call the cops because he can't have anybody messing around his store or whatever. Well, she is kind of getting control of herself at this point, And she, she talks him out of calling the authorities. And she said, look, you know, it's just, it's just a kid. I think maybe it was a prank. I, I don't want to sit here and get the police involved when it's probably nothing. And so they kind of go back and forth for a minute, but he agrees. Now she calls her husband does not explain to him what's happened, merely says, I need you to come down here right now. You know, he's not very far away, so he comes over. Now, she doesn't want to get back in her vehicle is the issue. So she trades vehicles with her husband. She still doesn't explain to him what's going on. She says, I'll tell you at home, just can you just, you know, can I, I take your car and you take mine and, and we'll meet at home. So he thinks it's all kind of strange, but he agrees, and uh, she takes her son, heads home. Meanwhile, uh, he takes her vehicle, heads for their house, and on the way is, is in an accident. Now, he ends up in the hospital, and the last thing he remembers is some kind of foul odor, and then he blacks out. So the doctors, you know, they, they're worried about a concussion and so forth, so they keep him, you know, long enough for observation and 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 whatnot. Meanwhile, this woman has tried to calm herself enough and, and to start talking to her son. And she says, who is that boy? Do you know that boy from school? And her son says, well, no, mommy, I, I just met him. I, I don't know him. And she says, well, why was he in our car? And, you know, I think this statement is very chilling because the response is, well, I asked him to get in, Mommy. I thought we could go to my house and play. You know, this this is not all of the story, but I, I want to interject that there are some very unique things about this encounter. Uh, one is that it's, it's very unusual for children to report black-eyed kid encounters. Uh, two, you know, apparently has, has the information unfolded. Uh, this boy didn't really notice anything amiss about this child. So... He didn't really pay attention to the, the solid black eyes or anything else. He just saw a potential playmate. And obviously the the request was you know issued and this boy in turn issued an invitation for this black eyed child to get into the vehicle. Uh, which he did. He apparently, you know, climbed in and, and as I stated, sat down right next to this this boy. So as the encounter moves along, uh, the husband turns out to be okay. You know, he can't figure out why, you know, what happened to him. They speculate, you know, well, maybe it's some kind of gas or something that leaked, you know, we just don't know, but he appears to be fine. So he gets to go back home. But in turn, the other thing that happens as these events unfold is that uh, this little boy who was in such close proximity to the black eyed child becomes very ill. And his parents, of course, in turn, take him to 
the doctor. The doctor, however, the physicians that look him over, they can't determine what's wrong with this child. The reason they can't determine is because every time they think they have him diagnosed, the symptoms change. And, you know, they're bizarre fluctuations. At one point, they think he has uh, appendicitis. At another point, they think he has some kind of, you know, severe flu. They think it's one thing and they start to treat it. And then he, he breaks out and they think it's the measles. You know, then they test for that. That goes away and it's something else. And the parents, meanwhile, are coming to the conclusion that this is all a result of this weird kid that was in such close proximity to their child. So, you know, they finally convinced the doctors, okay, well, you're right. It's, it's probably some, you know, weird flu virus or whatever. Let us take him home and, and we'll treat him for that and we'll bring him back, you know, when it changes or if it changes again. So uh, they take the child home. In this case, they end up sort of reverting back to their traditional religious faith over the years, but sort of fell back into that and contacted some people and began to hold prayer vigils over this child. And they believe that that is what cured him because after uh, some time of doing that, the, the child healed completely. All the symptoms of anything disappeared and he became normal and healthy again. But uh, again, this is a case where these people believe that they had a brush with something very sinister and just outright evil. It's a chilling case, especially, like I said, as a parent, just, just hearing that, it's like, oh, the proximity, when she looks in the mirror and sees it right next to me, that's that's a threat, you know? Oh, sure. You know, I would, I would immediately take that as a threat. I don't blame her. That's what I would have done, just get the kid out of the car. Well, imagining, imagining that, that image of glancing in your rearview mirror and seeing that staring back at you, you know, that's, I think, would be enough to initiate a reaction. Sitting right next to your child. Your child, yeah, exactly. In the early part of the book, you talk about the skeptic, which I find very interesting. Of course, we run into skeptics in, in what we do constantly. And uh, I thought this was very, very interesting that this guy just wouldn't leave it alone. He said, these are just these are just kids messing with people. <laughs> right. And he told you that there were forums online where, where he found where these kids were supposedly admitting to doing this. They were, let's go mess with the adults, which in this day and age is, it would, is crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, just as a disclaimer, you know, let me say that I, I don't personally believe in skeptics. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, no one's ever shown me any solid evidence. I've never seen a body. So, you know, I can't I can't be sure that skeptics exist. Uh, but <laughs> I, I just that's just kind of my jab at the skeptics. But, yeah, I don't you know, I, I don't make any secret in, in lectures and so forth that I, I really don't have much tolerance for skeptics. Now, that is not to say that I don't take a skeptical approach to certain things because you have to if you're going to be a balanced investigator. But I, I think that, you know, a lot of these skeptics, it, it's kind of it's kind of become a religion almost. And, and I even say that in, in that book, I think, you know, that uh, you know, some of these people are, are just as adamant as, you know, like Jehovah's Witnesses or something about pushing their opinion. And that's kind of what happened with this particular guy. I, I had when I first started delving into, you know, looking at the different aspects of these encounters, I did want to look at possible ex explanations. And at the time, you know, bear in mind, this was the mid 2000s, the, the most popular excuses from the skeptical crowd were one, oh, it's, uh, it's all a hoax. You know, they're buying contact lenses from theatrical supplies. 
Now, back then, that one really wasn't feasible because while the contact lenses were available, they were very expensive initially when they came out. You know, now you can put them, you can buy them pretty cheap, you know, for near nothing. But back then, they were very expensive. It's not something a 10-year-old was going to go out and splurge on. Next pair of things that the skeptics were, you know, commonly saying was one, well, it's some kind of medical condition. And, uh, of course, they delve into that in the book. And, and there's not a medical condition that turns the eye solid black. Uh, unless, by the way, unless there's severe brain damage, which causes blood to leak down into the into the eyes, in which case the person's not going to survive anyway for very long. They're not going to be up walking around. And, of course, then there's the ever-present, oh, it's drugs. These are kids on drugs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, again, I, I talked to uh, both physicians and, and law enforcement to find out no known drugs that turn the eyes solid black. So, the, yeah, the conversation with the skeptic, it, it did become – it became almost hilarious, to tell you the truth, because uh, this guy was so invested in, in convincing me that this was not something I should be pursuing. You know, the light. he got very worked up when he found out I was writing a book about it. His whole claim was, uh, he, he kind of went through the list, you know, he told me it was drugs and then he told me, well, it's all hoax. You know, that all, all of these stories are hoaxes and it's all kids. And it's funny, Tim, because it got so elaborate. He said, well, these kids, you know, they're pulling these hoaxes and they're going to towns, you know, they're not doing it where they live. They're going to towns where nobody knows them. That's why nobody recognizes the kids. So they're going to neighboring towns. And, and you know, I kept coming back at him with questions. I'm like, okay, well, you know, these kids, most of these kids are not described as being old enough to drive. So, well, they've got older brothers that are in on it. Okay, so, yeah, an 18-year-old boy is is not interested in girls or anything like that. He's more vested in, in you know, taking his 10-year-old brother to pull up hoax on a, in a neighboring town on people that he's never met also that yes it could be posted on an internet forum uh, where they all laugh about the results and actually i loved it when this came up because he started explaining well they've got all these forums where they talk about this and i'm like great you know this will explain the whole thing just give me the links and you know there's a long pause and like, well i don't have any of those handy and i <laughs> Like, okay, well, have you read any of these? For well, no, a colleague of mine told me about So now we're getting a skeptic telling me a, a friend of a friend right. gave him the explanation, right? So, you know, it just, that's, that was a lot of what became hysterical about this. And then, you know, then it became this whole thing about it being this uh, countrywide organization of these kids, you know, pulling these pranks. And I looked at him, I said, Dude, I've got teenagers. I can't organize one to take the trash out. You know, you're telling me that hundreds of them around the country are banding together to do this to what end? You know, well, why? You know, this is not something a 16 or 18 year old kid has any interest in doing. And but, you know, due diligence, I, I followed up and I contacted uh, some, you know, various teenagers here and there and, and said, you know, just ask around, see if any of your friends have ever heard about this. No. Nothing. None of them have ever heard of it. You know, thought it was, no, you know, they're not going to do something like that. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty entertaining for me avenue of the whole thing as I was researching the book. But the skeptics also have no uh, qualms about kind of riding on, on, you know, our research and trying to cash in on it, do they? And, and you know, they'll put books out that say investigating the paranormal and, and you know, terms like that. It's like, uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the easiest thing in the world to start out and say, it's all fake, prove it. 
you know, and and then it's right. like there's no subtlety, and there's no there's no account for uh, for witnesses. And as you said before, it's a very different thing when you can stand in front of a witness and you know see their handshake and hear yeah. the quiver in their voice and see their the look in their eyes when when they tell you their stories. It's it's a it's a very very different thing, and it's very convincing. Absolutely. And I don't believe, as I often say, I believe most people have nothing to gain from making anything up and a lot to lose, really. There's a lot of people who face a lot of ridicule when they come forward with this stuff. Yeah, and you know, in our field, I mean, it, it usually, for, for the most part, you can pretty quickly spot the hoaxers because they're the ones who are trying to cash in on the video or they're trying to you know, sell their story, you know, they're, they're trying to get on Oprah or whatever. I mean, they, you know, they want, they want to see the dollar sign for what they're claiming. And, uh, it, it usually, you know, fortunately, usually those things fall apart pretty quickly in our field. Yeah, they do. Well, once again, the book is called Black Eyed Children. It's by David Weatherly. It's published by your own Leprechaun Productions. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. And can people order it direct if they want a signed copy? Can they get it directly from you? Uh, they can. They can uh, just contact me via email. Or there are actually copies on eBay at the moment from me. So that's always a way to get copies um, signed, too. I'll put links up in the show notes. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Thank you, David. The book, again, is Black-Eyed Children. It's got tons of cases in it, more than we talked about. There's, there's tons of accounts of these black-eyed kids and a very thorough exploration of the phenomenon. Definitely check it out. Thanks, David. Thanks, man. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. You can go to darkhollerarts.com for more. If you're on Facebook, check out the Strange Familiars Gathering group on Facebook. It's getting bigger every day. We share news about the podcast and photos and news stories and so forth. Just look up Strange Familiars Gathering on Facebook. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Yeah.
I cannot pass you.